In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Over the last two weeks, the Epistle and Gospel have impressed upon us the need to be prudent, to make wise use of what we have, including the spiritual gifts, to make wise use of these for the kingdom of heaven. The Lord Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem in last week's gospel because the people there were not prudent. They knew not the time of their visitation. In other words, they were so immersed in earthly things, they missed the heavenly. They were so engrossed in pursuing what is material, they missed the eternal one, the Lord himself, in their midst. How true this is of our society, and how true this can be of me as well. Our fallen nature, the old man within us, as St. Paul calls him, with his secular mind, is never far away, and we are easily distracted by what is superficial and false. This morning, we're shown another virtue that is essential to the Christian character, the virtue of humility. We're also shown its proud and independent opposite, which is a core assumption of the secular mind. Over the last two weeks, we've been given what to do, act prudently, make wise use of our time, talents, and treasure for the Lord's service. Today, as Bishop Ryle says, we're given how to do that. We're given to live humbly, in humility. Humility is the spirit or attitude of Christian prudence. What? Prudence. How? With humility. The first line in today's gospel is key to our understanding. It tells us to whom the Lord Jesus was speaking. It says, Jesus spake this parable unto certain people which trusted in themselves and believed that they were righteous and despised others. They trusted in themselves. They thought they were better. The cat's meow, God's gift to the world. And so the Lord confronted their superior attitude in his description of a Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, someone devoted to keeping every detail of the Jewish law, in the parable Jesus told, stood in the temple and prayed with himself like this. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. On the one hand, we've all met people like this, arrogant and rude, 
who think they're above it all. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. On the other hand, the Pharisee is one of the voices of the old man inside me, the old man who trusts in himself. The other one in the parable today was a publican, a tax collector. Tax collectors had a reputation as being extortioners, cheaters, for making a fast buck by charging people more tax than what was actually owed and then keeping the profit for themselves. They were generally despised by society. Jesus' choice of a tax collector is therefore very interesting. The natural assumption of those listening to him that day would have been that the Pharisee was the good guy and the tax collector the bad guy. But not so. As Jesus said, as Jesus said, the publican standing afar off in the temple would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a contrast between the two. The tax collector had a completely different attitude, and the difference was humility. He was poor in spirit. In other words, he knew what his need was his need for God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know what I am, he was saying, and I confess and repent of what I've done. There's a fine line to be observed as we consider what the Lord Jesus is saying to us today. Here's the thing. On the one hand, we want our children and grandchildren and godchildren to live with confidence. We don't want them to be doormats. We want them to be prudent as they live in this world. Confidently prudent. They need to be strong and able to stand up for themselves. That said, as the children of God, we do not want them to rely on their own strength and intelligence. We know that's a dead end. So we want them to live with confidence, but confidence in Him, in God's love and mercy, in His truth and promises, in His almighty power, in His presence by the Holy Spirit, in the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. The difference is a subtle one. Yes to confidence, but to a confidence that flows from a living and unwavering faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the kind of confidence that has been the hallmark of the saints through the ages. I'd like to highlight for a second or attempt to illustrate this point by highlighting Louis Seiko. And I know by doing this I'm stepping way outside of Canada, but I'm not stepping outside a reality. 
a reality that I think we as Canadians need to prepare for. Louis Seiko is the patriarch of the Chaldean Catholic Church in Iraq. And he is friends with Fayez Georges, the rector of St. George's Anglican Church in Baghdad. The reason the illustration involves Louis Seiko and not Fayez Georges is because Fayez Georges doesn't speak much English. So it's been six years since ISIS barbaric and bloody rampage across Iraq. And last week, reflecting on the present state of his country and the hundreds of thousands of people who remain as internally displaced persons, as well as the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who have moved from their hometowns and places to other countries, Louis Seiko said this. Remember now, this is a man who's not in his 70s. He's lived a lot in a bloody country. He's very well educated. Some would say that he's seen it all. This is what he said. Remembering all these pains, we renew our hope, our prayers, and our trust in the Lord, for he will not leave us. He goes on to talk of a hope that the new Iraqi Prime Minister will afford the minority Christians more attention and protect their rights and that neighbors within Iraq will respect diversity and human brotherhood so that there might be a peaceful coexistence. But his word is, remembering all these pains, we renew our hope, our prayers, and our trust in the Lord, for he will not leave us. It's a powerful statement by somebody who's been there and done that. In less than 20 years, the Christian population in Iraq has declined from 1.5 million to 250,000. Seiko has stood by and watched the pain and lived it and witnessed helplessly God's people being massacred. He's a man who regularly challenges and speaks bravely to the Iraqi parliament and society from his position as the Chaldean patriarch. The point is this. He does so not relying on any strength of his own, but trusting in the Lord. He does so with confidence, but also with humility. This is the key an honest assessment of our own weaknesses and needs and a faithful and a lively faith in the Lord. Remembering all these pains, we renew our hope, our prayers, and our trust in the Lord, where he will not leave us. Humility, but confidence in a God-fearing, courageous man.
Last Sunday evening at the drive-in service, we sang the old hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. This hymn speaks simply and beautifully about the humble confidence which is ours in Christ, which Louis Seiko has laid hold of and exercises regularly. One, one part of that hymn goes like this. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. This is the publican in today's gospel, a man who acknowledges his need, and instead of withdrawing, saying, I am not worthy, leaning in, going into the temple, and leaning in to rest in the merciful and everlasting arms of God. A number of years ago, in the village of Bristol, there was a, um, a special care home there, kind of a an old-fashioned, homey, special care home. I really enjoyed going to visit the people there. And there was one man who would always like to sit in when we were taking holy, when I was taking Holy Communion to one of the residents, but he would never receive the Holy Communion himself. And one day I asked him, why not? And he said, I'm not worthy. And I said, well, I'm not worthy either. And he said, I hope someday before I die to receive the Holy Communion. The point is this, the publican is not worthy. I'm not worthy. You and I are not worthy together. But what we're called to this morning is a confidence to lean in to the mercy and grace of God in Christ and confess our need with confidence and humility and receive the blessed comfort and hope that God offers us through the cross. Until we rest ourselves and those we love and our future plans and our whole lives in those everlasting arms, we will have no peace or confidence or comfort. Because the very thing we try to hold on to, my independence, my assertiveness, will elude me. Because I can never be sure if I've done or said enough, if I'm leaning on my own strength instead of those everlasting arms. I can never be really, really confident if I'm trusting in my own work and intelligence. A person may exude confidence, but it's a false confidence which shows its true colors. Sometimes it shows its true colors by putting others down and sabotaging any plan but my own. This is the Pharisee situation and it's what the Lord is showing us. He's peeling back the layer and saying, if we don't rest 
in his everlasting arms, this is what is really going on inside. Bishop John Ryle pointed that out. He said, one of the great defects that stands out on the face of the Pharisee's prayer is that it exhibits no sense of sin and need. It's a mere boasting of fancied merits accompanied by an uncharitable reflection on a brother sinner. In all of our self-examination, let's not try ourselves by comparing ourselves with others. Let's look first at the requirements and the call and the standards of God. And then let's rest ourselves in his mercy and turn again to him and ask for his help. We've been talking a bit this summer about the secular mind. And we've been using or referring to Archbishop Michael Ramsey's book that's now over 50 years old, a book that would seem to be passe, but actually has proved itself to be really true for our time and for our culture. God, Christ, and the world. In that book, there are four assumptions of the secular mind. And really quickly, here are the first three. The first, the secular mind insists that eternity is irrelevant and meaningless. The second, the secular mind dismisses religion. The third, the secular mind requires knowledge to be based solely on what is observable and measurable. There's no point knowing it unless I can observe it and measure it. Here's the one today, the last one. The secular mind believes in the autonomous man. Autonomous, a word for independence. Free. Self-sufficient. Archbishop Ramsey says, man's own potentialities of knowledge and the effective use of it suffice for all his needs. So says the secular mind. True, people have their frustrations, but our human dignity lies in its power to overcome these difficulties and frustrations as we can and will, so says the secular mind. The independence, the self-sufficiency, the autonomy of human beings. This is what the Lord is spotlighting in today's gospel through the Pharisee. He's an autonomous guy. Remember, Jesus was speaking to those who trusted in themselves and believed they were righteous in themselves. It's easy for me to stand here and point the finger, but really and truly, I'm often that guy. We must be aware of this temptation because there's pressure all around us to think this way. 
society conditions us to live according to this secular mind, thinking we need to be autonomous, self-sufficient, independent. But the strange thing is, the weird thing is, as easy as it is for us to slide into this mindset, we all know full well that we have no power over the weather. None of us can make it rain as bad as we need rain right now. None of us can regulate the wind. None of us can control lightning strikes and wildfires. None of us can have any influence when it comes to averting sickness and death. We're just people, mere mortals. We're not self-sufficient. So why is it that we live with this delusion that we are free and autonomous. It's interesting, little sidebar, moving to the conclusion. It's interesting that the Pharisee in today's gospel says that he fasts twice a week. There's a really subtle detail here that this guy is actually trying to stick it to God. Here's the thing. What he was really saying is that he was going over and above what the law required, what the law demanded. In other words, he believed that he was building up brownie points, merit, credit with God. So without actually saying it, he was implying that God owed him. I've gone over and above your requirements, Lord. So, you owe me a happy life, a nice income, and good health. Basically, that's what was going on by him saying, I fast twice in the week. There's an old word for this kind of arrogance. Might be helpful with a crossword someday. It's in the prayer book on page 703, article 14. Don't have to look it up now. Article 14 is entitled, Works of Super Arrogation. Super, above and beyond, super arrogation. What it means is doing more than duty requires, more than what's expected, nothing wrong with that, but doing it with the intention or motivation to build a reserve fund of credit with God. The point is, supererogation is another aspect of the secular mindset, which says that I am self-sufficient. I, I have everything under control, even, even God himself. I've got him. Look at my credit list. Against all of my scheming, against all of my arrogance and false hope, against all of my positive thinking exercises and self-affirmations, there lies one simple truth. St. Paul told it to the church in Corinth in his first letter to them, and it appears in today's epistle. You know it. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. What did he mean? 
He meant that once he had persecuted the church, delivering Christians to be murdered. Once he believed that like the Pharisee in today's gospel, he had everything under control. He had a leverage on God. But now, by the grace of God freely given through his son Jesus Christ, Paul was redeemed. He was now truly free, free from the delusion, free from the bondage of this expectation to be autonomous, free from the power of sin, free from the fear of death. He was free now by the precious blood of Christ shed for him on the cross. He was free by the victory of Jesus' victory over the grave. And Paul now lived with confidence in the light of his Lord's resurrection. You and I can live in that confidence and that hope. The secular mind cannot, but you and I can because we belong to God. We've been made his children. We've been adopted into his family. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been given the gift of eternal life, seven plus one. His spirit dwells in us to strengthen us, confident in his love and grace, confident in his love and grace. Let us walk humbly with our Lord and offer back to him all that we are, all that we have, and all that we might become. Confidently, let us walk humbly with our God who walks with us by his Spirit and who has given himself for us. And now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen.